Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. morning we are beginning a new sermon series called Worship. And while there is a lot of activity in our church, we have women's retreats, we will eventually have a men's retreat, we've got Bible studies, we've got all kinds of activity that's going on in the life of our church. Gathered worship on Sunday morning is really the primary thing that we do together. We gather together, uh, when we gather together for worship, we continue a practice that the church began, at least as a Christian church, over 2,000 years ago. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that this is just sort of a regular thing that you do as a Christian. You might have a general idea of what it is that you come here to do. But often the things that we are most familiar with in our life, the things that are the most regular, we have trouble explaining to somebody else what it is that we're actually doing. Because we do them so often, because we've been doing them for so long, sometimes we just do them out of habit, sometimes we just do them because that's what we're used to or that's what our parents taught us to do. But if you, but have you ever stopped and think, well, why do I come to church on Sunday morning? And so for the next few weeks, we're going to take a break from our normal practice of preaching through entire books of the Bible, and we'll do sort of this topical series uh, looking at and reflecting on this subject of worship. And my goal in this series is not merely to make you a more informed worshiper. Someone who can talk about worship better if someone asks you. My goal for you individually and for us as a community is that we would actually worship God. With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength like he calls us to do in our lives. Since I arrived here back in August, some of you have noticed minor changes in our service, and you've come up to me and asked me and said, why do we do this, and why do we do that, and why do we put this here, and uh, this is different than what I'm used to from other churches. Well, my hope is that at the end of this series, you would have a better idea of why we do what we do on Sunday morning, and to be able to engage in it with more uh, conviction and ultimately more joy before the Lord. And so this morning, I'm going to begin our series by considering the question, What is worship? What is worship? Why are we here on Sunday morning when we come together to do what we are doing right now? And to start us off, I want to consider a passage from the letter to the Hebrews. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there to Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll begin reading in verse 19. This is God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and I pray that you would speak to us through it, not only today but over the next several weeks as we consider what it means to worship you. Pray that you would move our minds and our hearts and our emotions and everything that we are to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth and with reverence and awe like you call us to do. May you make us a community of worshipers. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. When you go to a soccer game, you know what is expected of you there, right? You're there to cheer on your team. When you go to a symphony, you know what's expected of you there. You've entered into the realm of music and art, and you're there to listen and to be moved by the music. When you walk into an art museum, you know why you're there. Look at the art on the wall and be enriched in your soul as you take in the paintings or whatever it is, the sculptures that you've been there to see. When you go into a classroom, maybe you're a university student or a high school student, you go into the classroom and there are all kinds of things that you see automatically that signal to you where you are and what you're supposed to do. You see the chalkboard on the wall. You see uh, the teacher standing at the front, and all of a sudden, you know what to do. You pull out your notebook. You start taking notes as as the professor teaches you. Each of those places has a particular context that communicates to you, even subconsciously sometimes, why you're there, what you should expect to get out of it, and what you should do while you're there. But what about church? What about church? When you come here, you probably assume you're somewhere in the realm of religion. You could probably get that far. But but each of us likely brings different assumptions to this place on Sunday mornings and different expectations when we come to church. What are we here to actually do? What should we expect from these meetings on Sunday mornings? Who are they for, really? Christians have thought about the Sunday worship service in a number of different ways throughout the history of the church. For some, you might think, well, Sunday morning is a time to learn. It's like a lecture hall for the soul, like a university degree for theologians. And so you come ready to learn and to take notes and to file those notes away somewhere. You come here to grow your, your intellect. Others might think, well, this meeting here is really for people who don't know Jesus yet. I know Jesus, and so where I really grow is outside Sunday morning in the small group Bible studies or one-on-one or, or in my own private devotions, and this meeting is really for those who don't know Jesus yet. Others might think, well, this is a place to be moved emotionally, and so that's what I'm looking for when I come is to be moved in my emotions, and so that, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want to take away. Still others might see this as a, as a time to sort of get together as a community, to, to connect with friends and to connect with uh, other Christians that you would might like to meet and develop relationships with. And while all of those are true in some respects, none of them really captures the essence of what it is that we are here to do on Sunday morning when we come and gather together for worship. In verse 25 of our passage, we hear the author tell his readers, essentially, go to church. Go to church, look at it. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And so this whole passage ends with this exhortation, don't neglect to meet together. And he's not just saying sort of get together informally with Christians every once in a while. You need to be connected relationally. 
He means that, but he means more than that because the word that he uses here for meet together is the word from which we get the English word synagogue, which in a letter from one Jew to another Jew, uh, to another group of former Jews who had now become Christians, when he says, don't forget to synagogue together, he means don't forget to go to the Christian version of the synagogue, which is church. So that's what he's telling them here. Go to church. Don't forsake the assembly of the church. But why? Is that just some other rule that he wants you to follow? Is that just something he says, look, God's going to be mad at you if you don't go to church, so you better be there. No, during this pa- in this passage, he gives uh, a, a number of reasons, a number of assumptions that he, that he makes about what happens here in order to motivate and encourage the people to not forsake this assembly. And I want you to see three of those this morning, three reasons why we come to worship and why you should not neglect this particular meeting. First, we must gather for worship because it is here that we meet with God. It's here that you meet with God. The primary reason we ought to come to worship in his church is because it's here that God has promised to meet together with you in a unique and special way in which he, he, in which he hasn't promised in other parts of your life. In, in the first part of our passage, the author reminds us of this great access that we have to God through Jesus. He shed his blood to forgive us of our sins. He opened up the way to God. He was raised to be our high priest. That is this mediator between us and God. And then in verse 22, he says this, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Let me ask you this. What does it mean to draw near to a God who is everywhere? He's everywhere, right? And so how could it be that, that this, this, the Bible tells me to draw near to God? Aren't I as near to God at home as I am as I'm walking on the street, as I am at church? How could I be closer to an omnipresent God in one place versus another place? What does he mean when he says draw near? In order to understand what he means when he says draw near, we have to understand the biblical concept of covenant. The biblical concept of covenant. Once I've tell, told you this word, you're going to hear it everywhere. Now, as you read the Bible, you're going to see the concept of covenant everywhere. Throughout the Bible, God uses this idea of covenant to express what it means to relate to him. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Jeremiah, in his prophecy, proclaims the coming of a new covenant. In the book of Hebrews, just a few chapters before this, he spends two chapters talking about how Jesus is the high priest of a better covenant than the one that he made with Moses. And at their heart, Covenants define relationships. Covenants define relationships. The parties of covenants make promises to one another to do certain things, and those covenants... Whoa. Um, that's not like what I'm saying over there. They, they spell out what the consequences will be if either of those parties fail to keep their promises. And the covenants weren't just in the Bible. They were all over the ancient world, and we have them today in, in institutions like marriage. And in the ancient world, covenants were established, and then they were regularly reaffirmed in the lives of those who were making these covenants as a way to strengthen the relationship. Usually this would work with when one very powerful king would take over, would come to a, to a less powerful nation, and they'd say, look, I'm going to bring you into our fold, and I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep... Uh, you can consider my army to be your army, and you can lean upon me when you have trouble, and, and I'm going to protect you. And if I don't protect you, 
then I'm, then I'm in trouble because I'm making promises to, to protect you and to, and to guard you. And then when they would have these ceremonies where they would write down the promises that each, each one made and they would recite those promises to one another. And then at the end of those ceremonies, what would they do? They would eat a meal together as a way to show visibly the unity that the covenant has created between them. And so when the author says, draw near, he's not saying move your body from one place to another to get physically closer to God. He's saying, draw near relationally to God. Draw near to God in the covenant that he has established between you and him through the work of Jesus. And, why, and that's why he says, don't neglect meeting together. Don't neglect meeting together because when we think about Christian worship, we ought to think about it as a ceremony in which we meet with God to reaffirm our covenant relationship that we enjoy through Jesus. It's a ceremony in which God has promised to draw near to us, in which he's given us the opportunity to draw near to him. That is different than when we read the Bible privately or when we, when we talk to friends about the Lord. We see ceremonies like this in Exodus 24 and Joshua 24 and Nehemiah 8. We'll look at some of those later in our series. Now, you're, you're probably like, well, I draw near to God all the time. When I open my Bible, I read, I pray to him. Like, are you saying that I just I have to be in church in order to do that? Well, yes, God does draw near to us in those moments. It's not as if he says, only here. But let me give you an, a, an illustration that, that I hope would help. Let's say a friend of yours comes and says, guess what? I found the person that I'm going to marry. And you go, great, I'm so excited for you. Let's tell me about him. Tell me about her. What's, you know, when's the wedding? And, and where are you guys going to live after you get married? And they say, well, we're going to do things a little bit different, okay? We're going to get married, and then he or she, they're, they're moving to the U.S., and I'm staying here in Columbia. And uh, we're going to stay in touch over Zoom. We'll have phone calls. We'll text each other. And you say, okay, well, what, like for a, for a few months before you figure things out? And they go, no, no, no. That's how we're going to do things permanently. You'd say, you're not ready to be married. Sorry. Why? Well, Zoom and FaceTime and text, they, they do the trick in a pinch, right? We're far away and we need, to, we need to connect with one another, but it's not the same as drawing together physically with someone, to being in covenant, in the covenant of marriage with someone. And so there's, there's, there's something in which God has communicated that, that here is that place where we draw near to him in a special way. Here's the, here is a meeting that you can't do without. Maybe for a week while you travel. Maybe for this, when God draws you away, when, when you have to draw away for a, for a season or you get sick or something like that, that's one thing. But, but to permanently say, hey, you know what? I'm going to kind of connect with God on my own sort of out here. That's not an option that he gives us because he says, here is where I, I renew my covenant with you. You can't have a long distance permanent relationship with the Lord. Public gathered worship is the place where God has promised to meet with you in a way that is unique and reaffirm his promises to you in a special way. Don't neglect it. The second reason, we must gather for worship because it gives us a taste of heaven. It gives us a taste of heaven. You ever wondered what heaven's like? You ever want to know what it's, what it's like to be in heaven? Well, the author of the Hebrews says that you can taste it even now. Look at what he says. In verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places 
What does he mean by the holy places? Well, he says that you can enter them, but what are they? Well, turn back to chapter 9, verse 24. Is he talking about the temple in Jerusalem? Is he saying that you got to go out to the Holy Land, out in Jerusalem, to, to, to go to the holy places? No. He says, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. What's he saying there? He's saying the temple of Israel, the tabernacle, all of that, that was a copy of the real thing, which is heaven. And now you, as Christians, have the ability when you gather for worship, when you meet together, to go into the holy places. Not the copies of the holy places, but the actual holy places. Don't miss what he's saying here. God has opened up a way into heaven for you. He says, go to church to taste it. Um, Listen to what he says in chapter 12. He says, for you have not come to what may be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And then he says this, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Worship gives us a taste of the real thing of heaven itself. That's a, that's a mystery. That's a mystery because when you come here, especially to this room, you go, this doesn't look like heaven. I don't hear any angels singing. I, especially the people around me, don't, they don't have voices like I would think angels would have. It doesn't sound like heaven, but he says here that by faith we know that God descends here and speaks to us and opens up the way into heaven for us, and you get to taste it. The real thing, like watching previews of a movie that you, that you want to go see, you get to see clips of the real thing and you get to taste it and see it. And we get a theatrical trailer of heaven every time we come as we gather together before the throne of Jesus and we hear God's word spoken to us in a way that we don't hear it throughout the week. And we get to to sing in the presence of God's people. We get to be fed from God's table. We get to to enjoy the gifts of heaven here and now as God prepares us for the day when we will be there forever. Don't neglect it because it's a taste of heaven. And finally, third reason why we must gather for worship is because in worship, God promises to give us his gifts. God promises to give us his gifts. I've often heard well-meaning Christians say things like this. Look, I don't go to church, I don't go to church to give. Uh, sorry, I, I, don't, I don't go to church to, uh, to get something out of it. I go to give something. In other words, I don't go there thinking, what is it, what's in this for me? I go to give and to offer something. And I know what, you, what they mean by that. It's, it's, it's good to want to give. But God is the one who gives gifts to us. We are the ones who need gifts from God. And so when at this meeting, God says, come, I want to give you the gifts of heaven. He mentions several of them in this passage. He mentions confidence and assurance. And so if you're struggling with doubt, if you're struggling with a lack of assurance, if you're struggling to know, am I, do I really belong to God? Am I really one of his people? Will he really never leave me or forsake me? 
He says, come here so that you can hear once again that God loves you and that he will never leave you or forsake you. In verse 22, he mentions having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's he talking about? Your bodies washed with pure water. What do you think? He's talking about baptism, right? He said, we, in our first service, we, uh, we had someone get baptized. And so in, in that physical act of baptism, getting bodies washed with pure water, he says, you get to see a picture of what God does to your soul, to your heart, with the blood of Jesus. But you only get to see it here as God gathers his people for worship, and you get to see God wash people clean. And so if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with guilt, if you're struggling and saying, Lord, I've done things that make me feel like I'm, I'm too dirty to be accepted before you, come to church so that you can hear and see that God washes you clean by the blood of Jesus. Verse 24, he says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Do you want to grow in your ability to do good works? Do you want to grow in your ability to love other people? He says, then don't neglect this meeting because it's here that God will stir you up to good works. It's here that God will stir up the people around you to stir you up to good works. And so if, if we, we do offer something to God in worship, we do offer him praise, we do offer him thanks, we respond to his gracious initiative, but here God is at work. God is the primary actor. God is the primary one who is giving you gifts in this meeting. Family once came to me. They were struggling with their teenager. He had begun to have little interest in spiritual things. He was beginning to question the things that, that he had been taught to believe and that he had said he believed for, uh, since he was young. And there were a lot of things that may have been going on uh, with that family, but one thing I told them when they came to me and they said, we're struggling, is I, I see you in church about once every six weeks. Not as like, hey, you got to do this in order to be good, in order to be a good Christian. But, but I, I say, you're, you're cutting yourself off from the, from the place where God has promised to meet with you, to meet with him. And so, friends, not coming to church is, is as much a cause of spiritual problems as it is a symptom of spiritual problems. It's like scuba diving and slowly pinching that hose that connects you to the air on your back. You, you might make it for a little while, but eventually it'll get closed off and we suffocate. Which is why coming to church is not just some rule that you have to follow. It's not just some box that you check in order to be good with God. You come here because God promises to open up the gifts of heaven to you. He promises to open up himself to you. He promises to draw near to you and to draw you near to himself. He promises to reassure you of his precious promises to you and to accomplish and to finish the work that he has begun in your life. And so friends, come, don't neglect, come taste the heavenly kingdom. Come here and receive the gifts of God. Come and meet with God. That's why we worship. So don't neglect it. Come and enjoy the gifts that God offers freely to you through Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for the gift of worship. That it's not a good idea that, that we came up with in order to offer you, but it is something to which you call us as your children to come and sit around your table and to be ministered to 
by your grace. Forgive us of the ways that we've been self-sufficient in our own spiritual life, thinking we have everything that we need and that we have something to offer you. No, Lord, you have everything to offer us, and we are empty without you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us a fresh vision of what it means to worship you, that you would give us a fresh vision of what it means to come and to draw near to you and to be assured, to be washed clean, to be reminded of your love for us and the fact that you will never leave us or forsake us. God, do that work among us, we pray, as you promised to do. For it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.